0: for listening to our podcast recorded live at Gateway Church, Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. If you'd like to turn then to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, it should come up on the screen I think behind us, And, and we're going to stand and read it together. That would be good. Let's read the word of God together, shall we? Let's stand and read the word together okay Christ is the visible image of the invisible God he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth he made the things we can see and the things that we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. The God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 <laughs> Well, what a magnificent scripture that is! It's one that we could just sit here and have in front of us and read and meditate on, because it is such a powerful scripture. And um, but it's the danger is that we see it in isolation from the rest of the text; that we see it as a magnificent hymn of praise. And some people do see. Uh, this particular portion as perhaps uh, an early Christian hymn. But there are others who, who don't think it is the case, and I'm one of those people who's inclined not to think of it as an early Christian hymn. Uh, I think the danger is in detaching it from what already exists, and I'm, I'm going to, I want to show you, if you like, the connection as we look at it this morning. So, uh, Colossians, it begins with Paul writing as an apostle to the church in Colossae, which was probably started by Epaphras, who was converted under his ministry in Ephesus. And uh, Paul has no connection with this church, and yet he still feels the right apostolically to speak into it. And in actual fact, there were no independent churches. There were no independent churches In the the New Testament world, they were all connected in some way or other. And it's always good to have relationship, to have apostolic connections. And Paul, though he didn't plant this church, he he had that right to speak into it as one called, chosen by God, to be an apostle. And he, he greets them as his normal greeting with that grace to you and peace. And I trust this morning that as we begin, you receive the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. very easy to go through worship sometimes and put all our effort into it and not receive but it's good just now to stop and to to realize that it's all because of him and it's because of him first of all grace and peace to you grace and peace to you and then he goes on to to give thanks for them and he is so grateful for this church and and that they're they're encountering of the good news of Jesus Christ, which he, he speaks about as coming through the word of the truth, uh, the, the, the good news. And we need to remember that this gospel is, is, is the word of God. It is the truth. There's not another truth besides it. It is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an entirely exclusive statement. And uh, that there, no, there, there are no rivals to it. Uh, There is no other way. The only way is Jesus. And so he talks about this gospel, this good news that they have received, this this good news that comes through Jesus Christ, and how he's changing lives among them and they're bearing fruit, and and how he prays for them to be filled. He wants them to be filled. And uh, if there's something I just want to drop in there this morning, it it is that God always has more for us. The, The enemy is always trying to rob us of everything that God wants to give us. God has got more for you, whoever you are, wherever you're at, at this moment in time. There is more. Amen? Well, you don't sound too sure about it. There is more. Well, you sound a little bit more. There is more. Amen. Yeah, there is more. So wherever you're at, there's always more. It's one of those strange things. We can be absolutely satisfied in Jesus, and yet we can have a hunger for more. And I trust that that is how you you feel about the Christian life—that it's not you're not trying to fulfil a whole list of do's and don'ts, but rather you're getting caught up with Jesus, because that's what we've been doing this morning. We've been singing about him, we've been declaring his worth, we've been declaring what he's done in the gospel, how he's reconciled us, and 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 in that there is more. Oh, we can grow to know him more and more. And so he prays for them to have their understanding uh, uh, opened and for them to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding and for them to grow in strength as they, they go on this way together in him and uh, to, to, go, to experience endurance. Endurance is a challenging thing. It's, it's going on when the, when the going gets tough, isn't it? It's that sense of keeping going when the battle's raging all around you. And we all need endurance, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit for that. So may the Holy Spirit just fill us even more. May you know uh, an infilling of the Spirit, even before you go out to this meeting this morning. If you're feeling weak in the battle, there's power for you this morning through the gift of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. And so he has rescued us. And so we, we, we see this, this passage here developing. how he, he speaks to them, grace and peace to you, how he thanks God for them and the gospel, how it's come to them, how he prays for them to, to know more of what God has done for them in Jesus, to be strengthened and to have endurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he goes on to root it in Jesus Christ. You see, if we don't understand who Jesus is, we will be tossed this way and that way and the other with regard to our Christian faith. And uh, it's important that we know who who he is. Um, There's a a book out there at the moment called Dominion, written by a guy called Tom Holland. And basically it's an overview of Christianity's impact on the world. And in many ways it's it's a, a good book, but in many ways it's got some faults and failings, plenty of them. But one of the sad things about the writer is this. He says, the reaches of time, and he's talking about his own loss of faith, the reaches of time seem too icily immense, to, to immense for the life and death of a single human being 2,000 years ago, possibly to have the cosmic significance claim for it, by Christianity, I'll read that again the reaches of time, in other words time has gone by, the reaches of time seem too icily immense for the life and death of a single human being 2,000 years ago possibly to have the cosmic significance claimed for it by Christianity so in other words he's saying I've kind of looked at this, I've looked at Jesus he is another man, what difference does it make you see, he's not really seen Jesus, has he He's, he's done a whole lot of research on Christian history and the impact that it's on the, had on the world and he's acknowledged how that the massive impact has had on the world and it still has upon the world. But he hasn't seen Jesus. Therefore, he has not seen the full power of Christianity. He doesn't know the full dynamic because he has not encountered the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's important just to, to realise that. What I think about Jesus will affect my life. It will affect my worship, my work, my witness. It will affect how the enemy can get to me or not. My understanding, my knowledge of Jesus Christ and so Paul is not going off on a preacher thing here where he's he's been expounding the gospel and suddenly he's caught up in something and he's he's going off on a a great peon of praise as if it's completely separated from what he's just said he's actually laying down for them that for this faith to be real for you to have every hope of eternity you need to understand who Jesus is. You need to have a good grasp as to who Jesus Christ is. And and so, you know, there were some in Colossae who had strange ideas about Jesus. And there are people around today who have strange ideas about Jesus. Some thought that he was really a man, let alone God. uh, That he only seemed to be a human being. That Jesus was perhaps no more than a phantom or an angelic spirit who appeared in human form. Uh, The outcome of that means that when he died, he didn't really die. He just appeared to die. And so if he only appeared to die, we have no salvation. Because we do not have somebody who is fully identified with us. Others thought that Jesus was born a human and then that the Christ came upon him at his baptism and was with him throughout his life, but then left him at the moment of death. Again, if that is how we understand Jesus, we have no salvation. And and so today is no different either. There are people, there are cults who who have strange ideas about Jesus uh, that believe he was either created a a lesser divinity or he was a man who became a god or he was just another prophet in the line of prophets or he was a social revolutionary or he was a, a new age master or an extraordinary individual who the early Christians are supposed to have misunderstood, exaggerated, misrepresented and others simply that he was simply a good man of his day. Ralph Waldo Emerson says this, he says, Jesus Christ belonged to the true race of prophets. He saw with open eye the mystery of the soul, drawn by its severe harmony, ravished with its beauty. He lived in it and had his being there. Alone in all history, he estimated the greatness of man. I think, is that all that you see? in Jesus, that Jesus alone in all of human history looked into his soul and realized the greatness of man. Is that everything that you saw? No, Jesus is far, far more than that. Jesus has both fascinated and infuriated people ever since he was born. People have gone on the search for the real Jesus, the historical Jesus, as if somehow he's not really the one in this book. Somehow we've got to to get through the the religious stuff. We've got to get through everything that's been overlaid upon him and we'll discover somewhere the real Jesus. And when we do, actually we'll find he's just a very nice man. You know, he's a very good man. He may have done some good things, etc., etc. He may have said some good words. But in actual fact, he will be no more than any one of us. Just a more exalted form of our humanity. Books and TV programs have have been made in efforts to suggest that Jesus was someone other or less than what we see in the Bible. Perhaps the most well-known in recent times is the Da Vinci Code. And what we find is we're just left with a Jesus other than the Jesus of the book, of the Bible. Anything less than the Jesus we have in the Bible, anything anything that gives us a Jesus who is neither fully man or fully God means that we are in trouble, means that we have no Saviour. So thinking rightly about Jesus is, is important. If Jesus is not who he, who he said he is, then we are not saved. He is just another individual in human history who had some kind of impact, impact upon the world for good. And one of the struggles that very often non-Christians have with Jesus is, well, he is just another individual. Yeah, I can accept that he was born, I can accept that he lived, but really I just don't accept the stuff that he was, he was God. I, I can't believe that. And, and so you see Jesus disconnected from humanity. You see, he, or rather, he is just another one of the mass of humanity. And so why does a man born 2,000 years ago have any impact on the life I have in the 21st century? It's kind of like, what difference does he make any more than Buddha or Confucius or anybody else? But you see, when we understand that he is both God and man, there is a, a profound difference There is a profound connection that takes place. And so, when we think of these verses here, we we need to see them in connection. This is more than just a hymn. Paul is saying, actually, I want to give you every reason to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. To know that you are forgiven in Him. To know that you have a new life in Him. To know that you have hope of eternity in Him if he's just another man then you don't have that hope but if he 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 is who he said he is then you have every reason to hope hallelujah and so Paul unpacking this this understanding of Jesus he speaks of Jesus in two ways and and this passage neatly neatly divides into two he speaks of him as the lord of creation and he also speaks of him as the lord of the new creation so let's look a little bit more closely at the passage, shall we? So in verse 15 there, we read that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. The visible image of the invisible God. He was the second person of the Trinity dwelling on earth. He was not a man who achieved divinity by the life he lived. He was divine and he has always been divine. He was in every sense God. He was God manifest in the flesh. We're reminded that when we look at uh, John chapter 1 uh, and read through the first 14 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He was face to face with God, the Father. And so we we have that very real sense that he is God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 1 verse 14 in John. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, that must have been something, wouldn't it? Have you ever thought, wouldn't I have liked to have lived then? You know, and just encountered him in some way? Encountered his him in person, encountered him in his teaching, watched him do a miracle, turn water into wine, heal a sick person. Wouldn't you just have loved to have been there and, and observed God in the flesh? Just just moving around, just yeah, in many ways very ordinary. He just looked like another man. But very ordinary. He didn't walk around with a halo over his head or bright shining clothes. He he looked very ordinary. And yet God, he was God. In the flesh. God amongst the people that He had created. And that always staggers me that Jesus lived in flesh that He created. You know? (laughs) Staggering thought, isn't it? But this this was Jesus. Jesus was far more than a good man, He uh, far more than a good teacher, uh, a healer, and a miracle worker, far more than someone who achieved divinity. He was God Himself manifest. In the flesh, he was tangible God uh, dwelling among humanity, God fleshed out for us to see, God with, if you like, with, with color in his cheeks, real God. And we have to remember, and we've been singing it this morning, that you know, God is Trinity, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and God has been God as Trinity from all eternity. Trinity didn't come into being when God started doing something on the earth. God was always Trinity and therefore God was always love because, God, because love is something that is shared. Love cannot exist in isolation. That's where we struggle with the, the way that the, the Muslims think about God because he is a solitary being. A solitary being cannot love in the way that the God of the Bible loves So love starts at a certain point in time. Well, it doesn't because God is love. Scripture says God is love. And God has been loving from all eternity. The Father loving the Son and the Spirit and the Son loving the Father and the Spirit and the Spirit loving the Father and the Son. And there's been that interplay between Father, Son and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. Wonderful, isn't it? Theologians use the word perichoresis, and I've used it before, you may not have heard it. But it's about a dance. It's not the, the individual dance that you get down at the, the you know, the, the wherever it is uh, in town. It, it's it's, it's so, those kind of dances you see in Pride and Prejudice where they're, where they're intermingling with one another. And they're, they're, it's, it's, there's a lot of harmony and movement going on and interplay. And, and, and that is the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the image of the invisible God. So when they looked at him, they saw the Father. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father also. And then, we come down a bit further, Christ existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Verse 15 again, he existed before anything was created. Some of the uh, more literal versions use the word firstborn, which that the JWs latch onto and say, ah, you know, Jesus was born at a particular point in time. He was the firstborn, and they latch onto that. But actually, uh, it's, uh, uh, it doesn't mean that here. What it means he is he was before all things. And in actual fact, it says he creates all things. So if he creates all things, he can't be someone who was created. Uh, so he is before all things and he created all things. But the JWs, if you go to their New World Translation, they had add into it, he created all other things. So they insert a word that is not there in the original. So four times in these verses they had all other things. So they add the word other, which is not there in the original. And that is to back up their doctrine, that actually he was created first and then he made, it all, made all other things. It doesn't say that. He is the firstborn. He is the one who has preeminence. The New Living Translation is a good translation, therefore, of this is is that He is the supreme over all creation. He is the one who is supreme over all creation. First in rank and worthy of our praise. And then we notice Christ is Creator and Lord over all creation. Through Him, God created everything. All things have been created through him and for him in verse 16. Both the seen things and the unseen things. Some people thought that matter was evil and they couldn't conceive that God created evil so therefore lesser gods created matter. But the Bible tells us God creates matter. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But the world of that day could not understand that and it was always created by some kind of lesser god. And, and, uh, but actually the scripture reveals to us that the, the God who created is, is the one who has been from all eternity. And he created matter and he created the heavens and the earth. And what does it say there? It says, and he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He created this world and he saw that it was good and he said, it's, it's very good, very good. There's always a danger in Christianity of wanting to separate out sort of spirituality from, from the ruggedness of the lives that we live and, and kind of become super spiritual. Where somehow, if I can get more away from this kind of stuff, I can be more of a spiritual person. I can really know Jesus better. But actually, Jesus stepped into this stuff and He He lived in this stuff a truly spiritual person. And He He sanctifies it by His presence. And so We can know God in our world. In the world of pain that you and I experience, we can know his presence and his help in every way. Genesis says then, in the beginning God created. And he looks at it and he says, it's good. It's good. It's very good. And here, when you look at these verses, he he makes humanity too in his image. And we have these words here that it it was created through him and for him. Two big questions that exist in life is, is, who am I and what am I here for? And they're answered right there in the scripture. Our identity is found in the fact that he created us. He made us in his, his, his image. We were made by him and for him. You're struggling to know your identity this morning. Have a look at this. Because he made you and he gives you the breath of life. He made you in his image. He sent his son to redeem you. He gives his Holy Spirit to you to bring forth that identity that he puts within you. So through him we find our identity and then it was made for him. It is for him that we find our purpose. We can so easily be caught up as if Christianity is just one of those things that we, we tag in along everything else that we're doing. So we have this whole list of things and, you know, it might be this, this and this and then Christianity, this, this and this. Or it might be Christianity at front and then this, this and this. But actually, the whole, the whole thing is for him. It is for him. The whole of life is for him. So we find our purpose in him. So we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all those other things, they take their place. So... We come to the fourth thing. Christ was before all things. It says he existed before anything else. He didn't come into being. He pre-existed all that is known and is felt. Wow. That's staggering, isn't it? Pre-existed. Everything that we know and feel today. Before all things, and, and actually, he holds all things together. Verse 17, everything is held together by him. Without him, it falls apart. Talks in, somewhere else about it being upheld by the word of his part. You know, if he, he took away that at this moment in time, our bodies would just simply collapse rapidly. The universe would simply collapse rapidly. He holds all things together. Staggering, isn't it? I was standing outside the other night at the night shelter talking to one of the guys while he's having a smoke. And, and one moment we we're talking about all that was going on in his life. And then suddenly he turned around and it was a crystal clear night. And he looked up in the sky and the moon was shining brightly. He's like, oh, wow. He says, that's amazing, isn't it? He says, and to think that, you know, that affects the tides and everything else. And if it wasn't there, he was seeing something, you know. He was seeing something. This world is upholding it by the word of his power. It is in him that we live and we move and have our being this morning. You going to pinch yourself sometimes. And, yeah, I'm alive. It's really me. And, and I'm alive because he's giving me life. In him, I live and move and have my being without him. Everything falls apart. And then secondly, we notice that he is the head of the new creation. So he's the head of of creation. And then he's also the head of the new creation. So verses 18 onwards. So first of all, it says, he is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. That means he is its beginning. He He is its source. He is the one it is dependent upon. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh yes, there's been many onslaughts down through the the centuries ever since the church was born and we've been singing about that this morning, that amazing song there that kind of just captures that whole thought about what Jesus did in his life, his death and resurrection and and the birth of the church and the spirit coming. Uh, Yeah, there's been some great advances and then there's been pushbacks and so on, but then advances again, etc, etc. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not Prevail against it. Hallelujah. And he is building his church today right across the face of this planet. And one of the most amazing stories at this moment in time is in Iran, where the church is said to be growing faster than anywhere else in the world. And people are being baptized in their hundreds. Such an amazing thing where they, they have experienced the harshness of, uh, of the Islamic world and, 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 and it's like it's suddenly it's, it, God is suddenly breaking in on that community and he's showing them his love and, and what Jesus has done and they're coming to believe that Jesus is indeed truly God in the flesh, the one who came to save. Just so staggering. You know, the world time and again has wanted to write the church out of the story. <laughs> but God is the one who's writing the story. And so it will never, ever be written out. They tried to do that in communist Russia. They tried to do it in communist China. They've tried to do it in other parts of the world, tried to write the church out of the story. They've tried to do it in our our western world, where, where perhaps through a more subtle means of trying to change the agenda and so on and so forth, they cannot write it out because Jesus is Lord of creation. He is Lord of new creation. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what a story it is to know that we're connected to something that began in eternity and is taking place and will go on and and find its consummation one day. He is the head of the church. Secondly, he is the firstborn from the dead, or as the New Living translates, he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. Hallelujah. Jesus died as a real man. He wasn't a figment, you know, He, he died as a real man. He went down into a very real death. He, he, bore, he bore our sin in his body when he was crucified upon that cross. And he died a death that you and I will never have to die because of it. As John Owen, the, the old uh, uh, saint of years ago and preacher of years ago. He, he spoke about the death of Christ. He said that it was the death of death in the death of Christ. Because when Christ went down into death, he went down into death like no other man. He went down bearing our sins in his body. And he bears God's judgment upon those sins. And and then he rises again, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell. And then, not only that, he ascends into heaven in the same physical body. And so, the old Pentecostals used to love to talk about, there's a man in the glory. And I love that phrase, because that is what gives us hope of eternity. If there's something other than a man in the glory, that doesn't give me hope. But the fact that there is a man in the glory gives me hope and enables me to encourage every saint on their deathbed. Yeah? Otherwise, we've got something that's kind of hairy-fairy, and it kind of doesn't really connect with the reality that we are. Jesus conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell. The first to rise from the dead. Supreme over all who rise from the dead. And then he is God. He is not part God. It says, therefore, God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. People believe no one could be all of God. They believe, therefore, that there were certain, there were many emanations of God. So different people carried different emanations of God because no one person could contain all of God. So Paul is counteracting that, and he's saying that actually Jesus did. Jesus did did have all the fullness of the Godhead dwelling within him. All the divine powers and attributes dwelt in Christ. All of God dwelt in Jesus. Bishop Handley Mull, uh, an Anglican bishop of years ago, he said this, A saviour, not quite God, is a bridge broken at the further end. Yeah? So in the same way as if if he is not fully man, that bridge is broken at our end, and if he is not fully God, it is broken at the other end. You know? So it is important that we understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And then he is the reconciler. Verse 20, Through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He not not only created us and gives us life, he actually comes into this life and redeems it. And that's, that's a big one. He comes to reconcile humanity to himself, to God. And we see something in the nature of the division there. It says in verse 21, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. And God steps into this alienation in the person of Jesus in order to bring that reconciliation to bring that restoration and that was a massive step we tend to think these days of the goodness of man whereas actually scripture talks about the badness of man yeah there's good things we do etc but scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that Is a complete fall, not a partial fall. It's a complete fall. And we we cannot pull ourselves up by by our bootstraps. We can't climb our way back up into heaven into a relationship with him. God had to come down in the person of Jesus to bring salvation. Hallelujah. And so two important points as we draw to close. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he's well able to save us. Hmm. Because he's fully God and fully man. And because Jesus is supreme and sufficient, we can have every confidence in him. Yeah. Yes, every confidence. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, the preexistent Lord of the world has become the human Lord of the world and in so doing He has reflected fully for the eyes of the world to see the God whose human image he has now come to bear. The old has been judged in Christ and it's passing away and the new has come and is coming. And so Paul is able to say in his verses as he draws them to a close here in verses 21 through 22, he says, he has reconciled you. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Paul says, because Jesus is who he really is, you're reconciled. Because he is fully God and fully man, you're reconciled. Because he, he is who he is, you are brought near. You're brought into his very own presence so we don't have to struggle to find God's presence this morning because he's gathered us up, he's redeemed us and gathered us up and given us his spirit and, and suddenly we find the Abba cry we say Abba Father, Abba Father you know someone who's born into a family doesn't have to struggle to be part of that family, they're in and you're in you know Jesus, you're in you can just stop anytime you like and just know his presence. It might be in a meeting like this morning as we worship together. It might be simply that you stand out there one night and look up the stars in the sky and you know his presence. It could be looking at a beautiful sunset and you know his presence. You could be looking into the face of someone you know and love and in doing so too, again, you know his presence as the one who gives you life. Enables you to share it so we're reconciled, we're brought near, we're holy and blameless. That means to be free from accusation. Oh, how the enemy loves to come in and accuse the brethren, doesn't he? He loves to come in and whisper, start whispering campaigns and, and start blaming us. And actually, it says here, We are free from accusation. Hallelujah! Yeah, free from accusation. Why? Because Jesus is who he said he is, and he has done what needed to be done. And we can have every confidence in him. Amen. Because Christ is who he is, we have a full redemption. He is a totally sufficient saviour. Because he is supreme, we can have every confidence in him. And so Paul says, don't lose sight of this fact in verse 21. Don't lose sight of it. Let's stand, shall we?